So Trent, come on up, because we're going to have a chat. Um, give, yeah, give Trent a hand. Um, I, this is like, and look, we look similar with our shirts. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> um. <laughs> weird. Trent, a, a lot of people, let's just start with you. Um, a lot of people really don't know much about you. Um, where did you grow up? What was family like? What was faith like? Um, and then I think, here, here's it real quick. Um, so many times pictures get thrown up on the screen of me um, that are unauthorized. This is, this is Trent. This is high school Trent, right? High school. That's, co that's college Tom college, Cruise Trent. College Tom Cruise Trent, right there. Right there. Crotch rocket Trent. I, I so wanted Don't to show this Don't make fun of old Blue. I loved her. Oh. Trent, tell us a little bit about growing up. That's a terrible picture. Well, it's welcome. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Dad. Appreciate it. Um, Oh man, I really hate speaking in front of people. Um, and I hate singing to, in front of people. <laughs> you need so. to know that right now. I don't, I don't like doing it. Uh, I grew up um, kind of all around, but I grew up in a big family. I was the oldest of four. Um, and long story short, it was, I grew up in, as a pastor's kid, so we moved to a small town Iowa when I was a freshman, and my dad became a pastor. And uh, hmm. So I grew up in that Christian, shoving it down your throat bubble uh, my whole life, which I am now realizing was not the greatest thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what you knew. It's just your life growing up was, you grew up in Denver. Yeah, and so. So that was pretty wild experience moving before your freshman year of high school to a small town in Iowa. Yep. Yep. So went to a small town of like 600 people and uh, I was the pastor's kid. So I had that PK stamped mm. on my face and um, there were things that people expected of you as a pastor's kid. Um, I wasn't a bad kid. My sister, except I just for that found crotch out, rocket. Set, well, that was yeah. college. So yeah. <laughs> I just sow some oats there. But um, yeah, I mean, I found out recently my sister thought I was a party kid and I was not. I was a straight-laced performer, mm. Christian kid. And being the oldest of your family, the reality is that came with a sense of responsibility too. Um, those of you who are the oldest in your family, yeah, you know what that's like, but there's, there's a sense in which you were kind of setting the tone for everybody else and there was a, a certain way to operate that you kind of lived into. Correct? Right. Right? What changed for you? I mean, you began to recognize that there was more to Trent Mulliken <laughs> beneath the surface as you grew up, as you got older, as you had kids. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was kind of stuck in this cycle. Um, I don't know what you want to call it, just like this monotonous, I am going to make sure I'm doing all the right things for all the right people to make sure that I'm putting on the right face. And uh, that's what I did. And 
got married and had kids at 20 and 21 was when we had Trey, our first kid, who just turned 13, so I'm yeah, old. Um, and just lived in this cycle of not really understanding what I was doing and why I was doing it, but I was just raised that this is what the Bible says, so you do it this way. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't until, gosh, it was like seven years ago, we did faith walking. And part of my growing up story is I don't have a lot of trauma, so it's weird that Ryan wants to interview me. Um, I don't have like a crazy story of going and doing crazy stuff. I was just this random kid who played sports and was whatever. Went to church um, a lot. Went to church every Sunday. You have to go to church every Sunday, yeah. every Sunday, even on vacation. Well, we're going to find a church, guys. We're going to go to church. Um, more to come about that, I guess. But anyway, so I was just stuck in that cycle. And uh, about seven years ago, we went to faith walking, if some of you have heard of that. Um, and Ryan can speak more to mm -hmm. what that is. But that was the first time I really kind of started looking back at my childhood and looking back at the patterns I was taught as a kid and realized, like, oh, my goodness, I am messed up um, Severely, and my like even before that, I would think about my parents and how they raised me, and they would pray before they would have make decisions about what to do with me, and it was really great. Um, so I just thought, hey, I had perfect parents, I had a perfect family, I can't have anything wrong with me. So why do I feel like such a punk? <laughs> and faith walking is the, the first time it kind of opened the door, or maybe a small crack in the window to wow, like. I have never actually processed why I feel the way I feel mm -hmm. and why I th have this emotion or what, do you, what is even emotion. <laughs> um, so that was the first like, crack of like robot Trent started to kind of smooth out a little robot bit. Trent. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, mm. so that was, the, that was the beginning of I think where we're going. Yeah, but. and you began to get more curious about yourself in that regard. So what has the curiosity about you and how you're wired and how you feel and how you push feelings down and all that kind of stuff, what has that done as you, how has that helped you grow as a follower of Jesus? Um. The biggest thing for me about starting to understand who I am and why I do what I do, uh, the biggest change for me is I've woken up and I've started to be present hmm. in the moment. Um, so faith walking was seven years ago. Mandy, who was up here earlier, for those who, of you who don't know me, that's my wife. Um, we're together. It's not Ryan's <laughs> wife. Um, uh, she got psyched out of her mind after faith walking because I was like, there's a revelation here. My dad screwed me up here. My mom screwed me up here. I screwed me up here. I'm going to, like, change. Um, <laughs> joke's on her. Nothing happened. <laughs> Nothing. So it was, a, it was a moment, but I didn't really do anything with that. I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. And then I went back to work. And... I kept having kids and kept being married, um, kept going to church. Uh, and then recently we had some crazy trauma happen about three years ago. And that, like, 
completely broke me down and I had, I had no choice but to um, dig deep inside mm -hmm. of myself and that's taken a lot of friends, accountability, a lot of counseling. Um, but what it's brought out is being present. <laughs> now I can sit in a day and look at my kids who I've like missed the beginning of their lives, at least mentally, and understand what's happening and just soak it all in. Mm. And that is only because um, of honesty with who I am and with the grace of, of what God's done in my life, which he continues to like just knock me over just to pick me back up again. It's really annoying. Um, but that's kind of like my trajectory. I just, I have something, like I've been hurt by church a lot and he just, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, mm. I'm done with this. And then something good comes out of it. Mm. But yeah, presence, that's mm. kind of been. Well, I really appreciate you sharing with us this. It's not easy to do it. Um, and I think from what I've gotten to watch, um, is yes, it is true that Trent has had a lot of hurt from churches. It's a weird thing to be in leadership or a worship leader at a church. Um, there's some weird stuff that goes with that. And Trent has, has kind of gone through some rough stuff with that in the past. And I, I've watched you heal and grow and stretch and change. And it's just been really cool. It's been an honor to watch. So um, thank you. Yeah. I want to say one thing about that word heal. It kind of hit me last night. Mm. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> um, but it was important for me to like kind of focus on this. And Ryan and I had talked about this interview a little bit. But um, he's asking, like, where, has, where have I been healed? And the word healed just kind of felt like it is finished. You're good to go. Mm. See you later. Move on. Uh, and that's not actively true at all for me. I feel like the only word I can say is healing, and God has just been continually moving and shaping and helping me open up to who I need to be by healing me, and I don't ever know if I'll be healed until we're up in heaven, but I don't know if any of you ever feel like that word is triggering mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Healing, not healed. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to pray for Trent. God, thank you so much for this guy. Um, he loves people so much and loves um, you and has had such a heart for worship. Um, grateful for the journey he's been on, for the curiosity he's had for himself and for others um, to experience like real truth in his life. God, we pray that the continued story of being saved, being healed, of ongoing healing continues to happen for Trent. And our prayer is also this morning that that would be something that would be, um, the rest of us would be curious about. So thank you for Trent, thank you for Mandy, thank you for their great kids and their life and their part of our church. And uh, we just bless him, amen. Thank you, buddy. Um, Yes, 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 yes. Sometimes in the life of our church, we do things like this, where we concentrate on kind of where we're at as a church. 
And some of you are just joining us. Mandy has shared with you we've been in this series for the last three weeks. And really what this is is who we want to be, how we are going to be. And one of the main postures of our church is how we transform, like how we heal, how we grow, how we change. Guys, we are not interested in being a church of, of, of varying degrees of attendance. <laughs> Just really not into that. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about in this stage of my life of how we are changing, how we are growing. The other posture in the life of our church is we're going to get to is our posture towards the community. And so I don't want you to, to lose sight of these two postures, how we transform as a community and how we um, kind of look out to the needs of our city around us. And we're going to get to that in our church life here. For the last four weeks, we've been in a really defining series for the life of our church. We've been talking about how we change. I mean, deeply change. How we experience the kind of healing and transformation that Jesus has invited us to. And three weeks ago when we began the series, we, we just made the statement that transformation is possible. That discipleship to Jesus is the joyful relearning of what it means to be human. And we're invited into that. And with a multi-generational kind of congregation that we are as a family called Restoration, I think one of the things that we... We definitely have different feelings in this, in this group of uh, some, some of us are younger and we think to ourselves, oh, I don't really need to get really that serious yet because I'm working on my career, I'm working on having a family, I'm working on um, meeting someone special. And maybe at the other end of things, uh, some of us are older and we feel, well, I've already had, most of my life is behind me. I don't need to really get serious or dive in or get, <clears throat> get um, deep into what it looks like to transform. I just think the offer is for all of us, no matter what your stage of life. We talked about community, how community is not just knowing people and having some friendships, but it, it, being intentionally obligated to each other and moving in the same direction, like a family would. Uh, in the life of our church right now, in the last year, we have been re-architecting how our church operates. And one of the things that I think is really, really important is that all of us have a part to play in how this family operates. And there are ways that we can serve each other that will actually help us build our connection to this family. And we talked about practices last week, and if you missed that, we talked about if you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, and there are some beautiful practices in the life of Jesus that actually open us up to the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And today we're gonna to talk about truth. That in Jesus, who is the truth, we are opened up to a degree of self-understanding in our lives that lets us see ourselves in a real way. 
And by jumping into community and truth and practices, I believe that the Holy Spirit meets us in our intentionality. So today we're going to talk about truth, but what do we mean by that? I think it means more than Bible knowledge. I think it means more than good theology. And the reality is we can have all kinds of knowledge in our heads, but that doesn't lead to much transformation. I think the psalmists, all throughout the psalms, you, you see pictures and you see inklings of what this looks like. The idea of search me, O God, and know me, or search my heart, O God, or create in me a clean heart, O God. And the psalmists are, are, are beckoning and asking God to reveal and to search them so they can experience the actual truth of who they are. I mean, think about it. Some of you have been around the church or a church for many years. And I think all of us can kind of wonder at our own selves uh, with statements like I'm about to read. I mean, you can function as a church leader and be completely unteachable, insecure, and defensive. I'm a church leader, and I've experienced many seasons in my life where I'm all of those things. I mean, you could memorize entire books of the New Testament and still be unaware of your depression and your anger and even displacing both of those things on other people. And it, it, in the reality is you can, you can have some really good practices. You can, you can fast and pray a half a day a week for years as a dedicated practice and constantly be critical of others, justifying it as discernment, you know? See, I personally do not believe you can grow past a certain place in your life without exploring beneath the surface of your life. Because God has made us whole people with our insecurities and our wounds, maybe some default responses that we have in our lives, some triggers, some fears, maybe even some defensive routines. And some of us, uh, you know, we get stuck in our growth in our discipleship to Jesus. I meet many people that are stuck. And the reality is we are anxious, we are sad, we have some shame, we have some anger. And we get stuck because we think that there's just like this way to simply pray that stuff away. And then when you're, you're feeling these things, someone might say, hey, well, I, I, have you prayed about it? Do you want me to pray for you? And listen, I love prayer. I think prayer is powerful. But I think there's some things deep within us that if we don't have the courage to face that, we're never gonna experience real healing. Listen to some of the wisdom of the followers of Jesus for the last 2,000 years. This is from Augustine, fourth century. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And then he says, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Meister Eckhart is a 13th century writer. He says this, no one can know God who does not first know himself. Teresa of Avila, she writes, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. 
And this is from John Calvin. During the Reformation, he says, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. And this is from the modern uh, kind of day, uh, Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. They say this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. So today we're going to dive into an account of the life of Jesus that I think exposes us to the understanding that Jesus is not only fully God, but fully human. And I think for many of us in the West, we have highlighted and elevated the idea of Jesus in his divinity. But this next passage kind of exposes Jesus's struggles with God. And he's so overcome with emotion, it says that he, some writers say he could have died on the spot. There's just like these bleeding drops of blood. And he's full of anxiety and pain. And some of you know where I'm going with this. This is the passage of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is typically a passage that a church reads right before Easter and Good Friday. And sometimes it's limited to our understanding of Good Friday. The word Gethsemane is a, it actually means wine press. This idea of squeezing, pressing the juice out of the grape. And in Mark 14, 32, we are introduced to this story. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. So there's no hyperbole. No hyperbole. He's, he's literally overwhelmed. He's distressed to the point of death. And he shares this with his friends. He shares this out loud, you know, coming from himself. And he shares this in front of God. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. See, this is the most human picture that we have of Jesus. And it's the most emotional picture we have of Jesus. And neither of those things is an accident. To be a human is to feel deeply. But if we're honest, we hate to feel. Dan Allender and Trevor Longman uh, continue to write in their book, The Cry of the Soul. They say this, the reason we don't want to feel is that feeling exposes the tragedy of our world and 
the darkness of our hearts. I mean, think about that. When we honestly feel, we, we, many of us feel very deeply about the things that are happening in our world. You have a, a, very, a huge sensitivity to the pain and the suffering and the darkness of our world. And, and, and some of us, you know, pr- try to ignore those things. And, and, but many of us try to ignore the darkness of our own hearts as well. And sometimes our emotions are actually what highlights those things. They go on to say this, the route to facing... What we feel is not by devaluing the darkness of what we feel, but by valuing the deep structure of why we don't want to feel. So the the authors are saying like, hey, don't devalue the darkness that you feel. Like, look at the structure of what makes you not want to feel in your life. They say once we face why feeling is so hard, then we can move beyond what we feel to the deeper energy within us that keeps us from grappling honestly with our emotions. Then we will not only feel more deeply, but more importantly, we will feel our feelings in a way that exposes our struggle with God. See, Jesus was not afraid to feel or afraid of how his feelings came out. He was perfectly God, perfectly human. And and like I said before, we focus on the divinity of Jesus, but in his humanity, he struggled. In that moment, he struggled with God. And so often, you know, uh, one one author talks about this, Pete Scazzaro, he says that our emotions are actually a burp of our soul. And that's kind of crude, but our emotions actually in a sense, uh, uh, come to the surface of things that are going deep within us. And, and I personally was taught in my early uh, days uh, as, a, as a churchgoer that my emotions were not virtuous, that, that to be emotional was not being spiritual. And so um, denying my anger and pushing down my shame and transferring anxiety to other people were kind of how I worked out my spiritual life. And it was rough. That certain emotions were bad and I could pray those away. But what if anger and sadness and depression and all the other emotions were a great place for God to meet me? Were a great place for God to meet you? By letting our emotions reveal, reveal our struggles with God and invite him into our pain. So in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is dealing with his reality, this moment that he is facing in the Garden of Gethsemane before his execution. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and what he does, I think, are three important things for all of us. The first thing that Jesus does that we can learn from is that he gives God his feelings. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He, Jesus takes his feelings and he gave them to God. He acknowledged them and spoke them to his friends and to God himself. And the second thing that Jesus does is he gives God his desires. He says, if it is possible that the hour might pass from him to take this cup from me. 
He's just crying out, let this pass from me. Now, here's the thing. These were not the desires of the Father to be, you know, God's desire was for sin and, and death and darkness to be broken. And this was the plan. And, you know, it makes me think like, what if we got, brought God our biggest desires? What if we were to bring God into every emotion and every desire, even if they were wrong desires? What kind of implications on our pain or unmet needs and our dreams would that have for us? And I think the third thing that Jesus does here that's really important for us to hold on to is that Jesus gives God his trust. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, surrender is where you and I begin to be honest with our feelings and our desires and our trust. But here's where it gets kind of weird for us Westerners. We are individualistic, achievement-minded people. You know, we want to learn, and we want to know, and here's the thing. We want certainty. We want to learn to pray the right way, because if it's the right way, it will unlock the power of God for the things that we want and we need. We want to be certain. We see all the darkness in our world and all the darkness in our hearts, and we just want to have some certainty. But let's just pretend that following Jesus is linear. And it's not, and we've talked about that, but let's just pretend that it's like a linear, perfect line to follow Jesus. And it's kind of an A to Z kind of thing. The standard kind of American approach to Christianity, at least as I've noticed it and I've witnessed it and I've experienced it, is to go to church Statistically, 1.4 times a month. Read your, Bi <coughs> read your Bible sometimes or regularly. Be a good person. And, you know, maybe dip into some Caleb or watch The Chosen. Have some Christian friends. And if that is the gist of our approach, then you might move from A to C or maybe even D. The reality is, is there's not going to be that much different about us. But if you want to really grow, if you want to really transform, if you want to really change, then Jesus adopt, uh, invites us to adopt intentionality. Intentionality around connected community intentionality around spiritual practice and intentionality of the, the deeper truth of who we are. And the reality is that might take you from C and D to M or P, Q. And you'll most likely get stuck again and slow down or plateau. And that's just because you are going to be hitting up against some real deep stuff in you. Stuff that is wired into your neurology. 
And often the way we move forward and the way we grow is through pain and suffering. It's called the way of the cross. It's called that denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. And a lot of times that is really hard. But the reality is, is when we look at our life honestly, when we see the reality of our moment like Jesus did in the garden, and we face the reality of our lives, and not the fantasy that it could be, but we face the truth with acceptance and joy, and we can honestly say to ourselves, this is my body, this is my age, these are my wounds, these are my kids, this is my story, this is my regret, these are my mistakes, this is my background, this is my family. <clears throat> the goal is to come to a place where we can calmly hold the truth in our mind and be at peace and full of love. It's this idea of active acceptance. It's part of the real journey. To stop seeing our life as an endless game of whack-a-mole. But actually an invitation for God to do some beautiful transformation. Ronald Rollheiser, in one of my favorite top ten books that I've ever read. He says, mature, he says, we mature by meeting life just as God designed it and accepting there the invitations that beckon us ever deeper into the heart of life itself. So as we kind of wrap up this, this, this really important posture of our church, that we believe transformation is possible, and we call this our transformation posture. And the other posture we have in the life of our church that we will get to is our posture towards our community. And these are going to be really two main um, posts of the trellis that we kind of build this rule of life of who we are as a Restoration Covenant Church. But as we wrap this up, I want to, I want to ask a few questions for you. Where can you give God your feelings, your desires, and your trust? How can you just spend some time pushing away all the things to sit down in quiet and silence and just asking this question of yourself? Or maybe this, where can you begin to look beneath the surface of your life? What are the relational patterns in your life? Are they good? Or do you have maybe a, a steady uh, diet of broken relationship after broken relationship? What are your consistent emotions? What are, what are some wounds from your past that keep kind of bubbling up to the surface? Where do you experience grief and loss? Now, in the last number of years, um, I have referred more people in the life of our church to professional counseling and therapy than ever in my life. And this is a great thing. It's not an easy thing, and it's not a perfect thing. 
But there are people that have the gifts and the, the ability to probe and ask questions that unearth things that are happening beneath the surface of our lives. And I want to encourage you to seek that out. In fact, I, just so you know, our staff team, I'm so proud of them. They have they worked so hard in this area of their lives. And, and because of that, they're... Their presence and their joy and their growth has, has begun to spill out on many of you. Now, one of these opportunities that we are making available to the life of our church for you is something called faith walking. And many of you in, in our church have gone through uh, different uh, opportunities associated with faith walking. When the pandemic hit, our uh, the, the organization Faith Walking kind of changed how they offered their material and their opportunities for people to engage in. And what Faith Walking is, is they are uh, a number of different modules that allow you to jump on a Zoom call, um, hear some teaching, and then wrestle with the material in your own life. Faith Walking is a journey of growth. It's a way of opening yourself up to transformation and formation. And it helps us to just get a deeper connection with who God is and to learn to align our lives with the life and teachings of Jesus in a way that opens us up to real things in our lives, um, to, to develop more healthy, authentic, and meaningful relationships and growing our capacity to manage ourselves uh, from our family of origin, from all those things. And so the goal is to become more self-aware, to, to see more truth in our lives, and to gain freedom from wounds of our past and experience personal freedom that comes with being less reactive in life. And faith walking is a phenomenal opportunity, and they offer modules all the time. But they are starting this week. And typically, counseling will cost you anywhere from $150 to $200 for an hour. Faith walking is $175 for 10 weeks. And so this is just another opportunity for many of you. There will be a link on our website to make that available. But I just want to end our time with a prayer from a man named Reinald Niebuhr. And the beginning of this prayer has been offered and adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous. And you may have seen this prayer on a coffee cup or on a piece of artwork or by being a part of an Alcoholics Anonymous group. It begins like this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. But that's just the first part of the prayer. The prayer goes on to say this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. 
trusting that he will make all things right if I will surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote that in 1926, almost 100 years ago. And yes, I said it's been adopted by addicts, which makes sense. Why? Well, what is an addiction? An addiction is any attempt to escape the pain of reality, to avoid the truth. There is real freedom and flourishing when we don't avoid the truth, but we intentionally seek the truth of who God is and who we are. And in that exchange, God, the Holy Spirit, moves and transforms and works and changes us. And that's the invitation on offer. Let me pray. God, we just thank you that you have more on offer for us. That yes, there is resurrection and new creation and all of that in our future. The hope before us. Heaven come to earth where there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more sickness, no more death. And we eagerly await that day, but you invite us to the kind of life that begins to taste that and feel that and experience that now. that we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, that there is something happening. And if we allow you to work in our lives, if we to have the courage to look deep beneath the surface, you have healing and hope for us to experience right now, right now in this body, right now in our stage of life, right now in this place we call home. God, give us the courage to take the next step. We pray these things in your name. Amen.